date to your potential, inspiring, educating, and empowering single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our hosts are Peggy Matheson, betrayal trauma recovery expert, and Sharon Collier, certified life and relationship coach. Welcome. Welcome to episode 19. We're so excited. Today we have an inspirational story. It's Angel Lynn and her story of hope. I'm going to turn it over to Peggy because Peggy has an interesting connection and I'm just so excited about today's episode. Yay, me too. Angel, um, Angel and I, I saw her on another podcast and I'm like, oh, I need to, we need to talk to her because you have an inspirational story and we want to hear. And um, so I reached out to her and then I found out that she is a sister to one of my good friends who I used to walk with when we were in the same ward years ago. And so this is, and I had kind of been introduced to you. I think I actually met you years ago at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a super fun connection to make with you and realize that pulled all those pieces together. And anyway, so what I wanted to introduce Angel, Angel Lynn is an MSW, a master's of social work. Correct. And she's a soul mentor, a life coach, and a public speaker and author. So lots of great experience here that we're excited to hear about. This is her personal story that that I think you're going to find really fascinating. So she had a crisis in her life, and I wanted her to share how she moved through that to the love that she has now, which is her second marriage. So Angel, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a privilege to meet with you and your audience and to share the story because it is a story of hope. And having gone through divorce and being single and at at nearly 40 years old and having five kids, I am well acquainted with a lot of the turmoil and the frustration of being single and wanting a healthy relationship, dealing with past trauma, trust issues, disillusionment, all of that. So today, I hope that the pieces that I share will inspire some of you to take these areas, the tools, the lessons that I have discovered and be able to implement them in your own lives for amazing results as well. So quick background, I was born and raised in St. George, Utah. I'm in the middle of six children. I was born in the church, raised LDS, served in LDS mission to Spain, attended BYU's, getting a degree in social work from BYU Hawaii, and then a master's in BYU Provo. And I was married at age 25. And as soon as I was married, I became a stay-at-home mom. It was shortly after graduate school. And I had my first baby that last semester of grad school. You wow. know, and so there I oh was, gosh. a new degree and a new mom. Oh, and uh, then I had the five sons born in eight years. So it was bam, bam, bam. And I was a homeschooling stay at home mom married to a husband who was an active priesthood holder. He was a convert to the church, had served a mission. I had met him at BYU Hawaii and student body president. And we just were drawn to each other with our love of the Lord, the loving to serve in the church and our desires to, to be leaders. And so there we were just going along in this marriage. He worked for the church and he also was branch president. And I often served as Relief Society president during our marriage or primary president. So we were just doing all the things. So super, as you can imagine, immersed. Yes. yeah. and then one day I got a phone call that there was a warrant out for his arrest and hello. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> what I mean, every day, you right? guys, it's not, it, it wasn't, there was no suspicion. I had no, I had no prior inkling 
And so it was just a complete existential crisis. So that term is often used in the field of psychology for when your picture perfect life or your life as you know it and understand it suddenly is shattered and, and things don't make sense. And that's how I felt in that moment. I remember walking into my bedroom, um, trying to process the information. What does this mean? What has he done? I didn't know what he had done. And I look at my bookshelf and I have the scriptures in Spanish and English. I have all of these books from Deseret Book and Apostles' Lives, you know, autobiographies. I have my church manuals. So my eyes just scan the shelf. And I remember the distinct thought. I'm pretty familiar with that content. And I cannot think of one chapter, one verse that says what to do when there's a warrant out for your husband's arrest. (laughs) So I turned away from the bookshelf and I really went to God with my whole being. And in that moment of existential crisis, it wasn't just, I don't know who my husband is, you know, of like, wow, I've been lied to. This is, there's been hidden behaviors. It was, I don't know up from down. I don't know what's true across the board. It was such an interesting psychological state uh, where I thought I can't trust any human. If I can't trust the person I've made babies with and given my whole life to and made goals with, like if I, I, I didn't, I couldn't even think reach out to a friend or call your mom and dad. It was like, this is a God moment. So I went to God and I even remember pausing and going, I don't even know if there is a God. That's how existential this was, because what if I've been lied to about everything? So I started my prayer. It was a conversation. And I said, God, if there is a God, I remember that caveat. (laughs) I need to know what to do right now. And part of it was my husband and I were operating a shuttle business. And so he and I were all day long alternating routes. One would be home with the kids and someone would be driving a shuttle to and from the St. George airport to Las Vegas. So we were awake 24 hours a day, pretty much like getting little, like, so the stress of life and, and the finances already, that was already heightened. So my nervous system was already, you know, at its threshold when this news came in. And so when I said, God, I need to know what to do right now, it it really meant like, who's going to take the next shuttle run. I thought if he gets pulled over for a traffic violation and there's a warrant out for his arrest, he's going to be cuffed and hauled off. And I'm going to have this van full of passengers somewhere between here and there. And, you know, so it was a strategic question as much as an emotional question. Like, how do I hold these pieces of my heart together that feel like they just blew up and they're on the floor? I remember this, there was a visual. I felt like all these pieces of my life were just blown up on the floor, like broken glass. It just felt (laughs) like that, like everything shattered. And I was just staring at it. Like, like as if something had just broken in your house and you, you know, you need to get the broom and sweep it up, but you're, you're just not even sure where to step because you, you don't want to step on any glass. That was right. how I could best describe that moment. So when I said, God, if there is a God, what would I do next? The thought that hit me was put chicken in the crock pot. Ladies, this is the beginning of my transformation. And as silly as that sounds, even sharing this with you makes me feel teary again, because in that moment I realized in with lightning that struck my soul, that my entire life, I had been praying to a God who would deliver me answers right away. And when those answers didn't fit what I was expecting, wanting, or familiar with, I would dismiss them and keep asking questions. Yeah. So because I had said, God, if there is a God, because I had addressed that entity in that moment, I had a choice. I'm either going to receive trust and act upon that answer, or I'm going to reject it, doubt it and talk myself out of it. 
And I discovered with a shocking awareness, a very humbling awareness that for 38 years of my life, I had been doing the latter systematically. Questioning yes, the response questioning you got. Questioning the response, going back to what I know, what I'm familiar with, what I think I should do, have to do, would need to do uh, in order to get blessings. And then having moment after moment of like a stupor, I'm not getting my prayers answered. And I, this is how I recognize there are two default settings in us as members of the church. When we're not feeling like we're getting answers, we'll go, oh, I need to be more worthy. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend more time in the temple. So I'm going to do more so that I could get this answer or be worthy of the answer or the blessing. And then when that still doesn't work, then we'll say it's in God's timing. It's in God's timing. I guess I'm supposed to wait. My personal belief today is that those are two fallacies because what I've experienced since this day in May, 2016, this is when this happened is that every time I ask God a question, I get an answer immediately and I have stopped rejecting those answers, but those answers often, almost always are completely backwards from what I was expecting. So I walked into the kitchen and I started putting chicken in the crock pot and I'm just thinking, okay, this is it. You know, I'm doing what you told me to do. And I look over and I see these five boys just innocently playing with no idea of the information that had just come in on the phone call. And it was like, oh, for a moment, cause I was in shock. I forgot I was a mom. I got to feed these kids in four hours. Like this is perfect. So I'm seasoning it. I'm throwing in some potatoes. I'm like, there's going to be dinner, you know? So you know once what? I took I'm that gonna step, stop this for yeah, a second. I'm going to stop you for just for a second because you had, this was a big trauma, a big, big trauma in your life Shock. that happened. Yeah. And one of the things that is so important to do when you're in trauma is to, is just to take the baby step. Present. Mm-hmm. Be, be in the present be in the present, but also to understand there are steps that you need to do to take care of yourself. And that is exactly the answer you got was take care practical. of the present moment. Very practical. Anyway. And that was the on. miracle that kept going in the weeks and months to follow. Those things continued to happen. And I realized how much God cares about the practical as much as the spiritual, oh, the yeah. spirit would tell me things like put the laundry in, start the laundry. I mean, it would just come and I was like, Oh yeah. Because for days and weeks, to follow, I was in shock and living yes. in the present was the only way I didn't lose my mind or, or have, you know, um, just a total shutdown or meltdown. So right after the, I got the chicken in the crock pot, I went back and I said, what now ladies, here's a pattern. I call it co-creating miracles with God co-creating. I discovered this pattern through this experiences that I had, that there is a distinct pattern. It's worked a hundred percent of the time since this day that I can co-create miracles with God. And why, why am I a co-creator? Because I am a child of God. I'm designed like God. I'm told I can become a God. So I am a creator, but I'm an apprentice. I don't know all that God knows. And so as a co-creator, I'm the apprentice and God helps me. And here are the, the key components. If I will ask God, what questions, what would you have me do? Where then Or what do I do in this situation? Just start the question with the word what. Then the what will come through, just like chicken in a crock pot. The next thing I asked was, what do I do next? It was call so-and-so to be a driver, a substitute driver for the shuttle today. So you can stay home. And that person was available and willing to go. God already knew that. I didn't know. And that person had the right driver's license as a taxi license person. I mean, all these things, it was just like, I didn't stop and say him, well, I don't want to bother him. He has another full-time job and a family. That's all the bull I used to do. Yeah. I just said, got it. I'll call that person. So the person steps in and takes the run. Well, 
I continued to just say, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And sometimes the what, the thought would come in and I think, okay, I understand that, but I don't even know where to find the people, the information or the money to accomplish the what. So I don't know where the resources are. So the next question I learned to take was, where do I go to find the people that know or could show me the information or the finances to accomplish the what? So again, this is the what and where principle of co-creating miracles with God. Now, here's why this is important. When I ask how or why, the communication with God stops. So I'm going to ask you and all the listeners to take a moment and ask yourselves, when I say the question, how, imagine yourselves turning to God and say, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to help my child? How am I going to find work? How am I going to heal from trauma? When you take the question, how to God, what energy is behind the question? How is it fear? Bingo. It's fear. And I found myself in seeking to step into the presence of God with a question and asking how, and it took me right back to the book of Mormon, to the times with Nephi and his brothers, Laman and Lemuel, when Laman and Lemuel would have that attitude, how are we going to do this? And I think it's first Nephi chapter 12, where Nephi says, why do you like, why are you asking that question? Have ye forgotten? This is the God that led the children of Israel out of bondage. This is the God and Nephi runs through all of God's credentials. You know, like we have seen the how gets delivered. Why well, would you be kind of questioning God too, isn't it? How are you going to do that? That's exactly it. That's exactly it, you know? And that's what they were saying. Like, that's what Nephi was teaching us is that you don't question God's how. And so I realized too, this was a next awakening is I have been praying my whole life with how questions or why, why is this happening to me? Why can't I find this? Or why can't I get this job or why those two questions, how and why are inherently fear-based. God is love. Fear is the antithesis of love. If you want to speak to the creator, you have got to step into the frequency of creation and truth. Love and truth are synonyms, I believe. I think it's the same frequency. Fear is the antithesis. So I felt in many different ways that when I approached God with a fear-based question, it was like the door to the throne room was shut. That was that was my feeling. I just shut the door to the throne room and I would be in a stupor and I would feel disconnected. So I began to repent of my fear when I acknowledge, when I would recognize that, oh, I'm in fear right now. And by repent, I would just apologize. I just was, would say, Father, I'm recognizing that I'm in fear right now and I'm letting it go. I will return to trust. I know in whom I've trusted. Bring those powerful words from the scriptures into your own heart. I know in whom I've trusted. And so the more I went, with this pattern of just asking what and where I strengthened my ability for these four steps, ask, breathe, and receive. There's a deep spiritual connection to breathing. The depth to which you breathe is the depth to which you can receive. Mm. I love that because in the work that I do, breathing is so integral to integrating the process work that we've done. I do the guided meditation work and mm-hmm. so we start with breathing and in the middle mm-hmm. of it, when we've transitioned or we we've shifted things, I haven't taken a nice deep breath in. There's lots of breathing in it. So I totally am on, you know, I, that yes. super. Important. Well, as I was, I was getting more into learning about breath work and meditation in my, in my life at this time. And I had this little conflict of, 
like, this is really powerful for me, but I've never learned this at church. So am I doing some woo woo hippy dippy baloney practices that aren't in alignment? (laughs) And I took it to God, God, what would you have me do? And God said, go look in the scriptures and said, look up these phrases, breath of life. I am the breath, breathe and meditation. Do you know what I found? Jesus conferred the Holy ghost onto his disciples, his apostles prior to his crucifixion. He breathed it onto them. It doesn't say he laid his hands on their head and confirmed them, you know, members of the church with Holy Ghost. It says he breathed it onto them. And and then a book of Mormon in Mosiah, it says uh, King Benjamin's talking and he references, he's talking about Jesus and says he lends us his breath. And when I read that one, there was this connection because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? When I consciously and intentionally take a deep breath in, in any situation, I feel an increase in peace. So my heart goes to that scripture. That is Jesus lending me his breath because I'm opening my mind, my body, and my heart to the Prince of Peace by just being willing to slow down, take a breath and get present. Mm, I love this. So also I started, I looked up the origin of the word Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit because I was wondering in the history of the world and the church, why the LDS church started to use the term Holy Ghost, where most other Christians say Holy Spirit. And in that research, I found that that term, both of them, Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, actually is linked to the word breath. So I am in total amazement of this. So being able to just, you know, wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be right, I didn't want to be woo-woo or offline. I actually found that there, there are some key golden nuggets here that just haven't been connected for our culture. And that is why breathing is so powerful. So my process of prayer now is to ask God questions, what and where questions, breathe and receive the answer. Because as you breathe it in, you're taking it in. It's a signal to your mind and your body and your heart that I'm assimilating it. Just like you said, Peggy, I'm bringing it in and integrating the answer. And on the exhale, I'm letting go of any resistance I would have to the answer from God. So I'm breathing out my fear, my judgment, my guilt, my shame, anything like that, that would that would keep me from listening. So ask, breathe and receive trust. Step number three is huge. If you have trust issues in your life because of betrayal, past trauma, many people say that I have trust issues. My hypothesis is the number one issue is you don't trust yourself. Mm. Trust. You don't trust yourself. The key component to reclaiming Mm -hmm. your voice and your power when you go through trauma, like what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. So if, if something has some, if someone else has been not trustworthy to you, then we develop this. We start caring that we have trust issues, but friends, sisters, brothers, whoever's listening, my experience is this, the healing is in learning to trust myself and my connection to God. Because if I can trust myself to communicate with the divine, I have zero fear about what anyone else is going to say or do to me. Because if any, I'm not afraid of like dating somebody new, like, are they going to lie? Are they going to lie like my ex-husband did? And are they hiding stuff? We get so stuck in that. And guess what is I have come home to myself being more connected to my mind, body, heart, and spirit, and more connected to my creator. I have nothing to fear. I can sit with someone who is lying to me and I can say to myself, what am I feeling? I'm noticing something's off or I have a little suspicion. And I can trust myself yes. and it doesn't have to be about a judgment. It doesn't have, it can just be about God. What would you have me do? And God's like, this isn't the place for you. This is not the relationship. This is not your person. It's like, oh, I can trust myself and I don't even need to excuse it. I'll just say things like that's a soul's no for me. And that's a soul's yes. (laughs) It's a soul's yes or a soul's no. 
But when you start living in trust, the more you trust yourself, the closer you get to God. And the interesting piece is that in this discovery, I realized I had outsourced my trust my entire life. I had been practicing the process of going outward to go upward, meaning I went outside myself to listen to what other people said God is, God has said, God wants you to do. And so I was going outward to get upward to God, building my stairway to heaven. And this moment in my life pivoted me and taught me how to go inward and upward so that I could talk directly to God and get that personal revelation. And, it, and I thought, too, if after being married to somebody for 14 years and discovering that I couldn't trust him, why would I want or hope or expect to put my life in someone else's hands? I'm only choosing now to put my life in God's hands, the direction of my life. So I trust me and I trust God. Ask questions, breathe and receive. Trust that you are worthy to receive answers. And that's a big one too. That's a stumbling block for a lot of people in the church is because we have so much fear around worthiness. My personal experience, I can only speak from that. Every time I ask for God's help, God shows up and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My condition, my state, you know, if I went to church this week, if I ask for God's direction, God shows up. And so that's someplace where when people pray, a lot of us feel unworthy to pray, right? So we don't, seek the direction and we just kind of wander in our, in our problems or in our pain and suffering. So ask, breathe and receive, trust that you are able, worthy, and capable to connect with God. And then the fourth one is to act with courage on the answer that comes, go put your chicken in the crock pot. As weird as it sounds, you have to act. And guess what? That, that phrase now replaces faith for me. The word faith and what faith meant is actually, I don't just think about that. I act with courage. If I'm not acting with courage on what I received, I am not having faith. It's just lip service. And so I had recognized how I've been talking myself out of answers. Um, The big miracle, the biggest story that really solidified this pattern came four months after the initial phone call when I had been saying, what now, what now? And the spirit had been saying, fire your husband from the business tell him to move out and tell him you're filing for divorce. And my head said, but, but we married in the temple. We made covenants. We have promises. Like I'm willing to work through it. And, and I had just been kind to my husband. Uh, I told him I had compassion for him and like, we hadn't been fighting over it. I just thought, get some help, take care of your legal things, get into counseling. You know, we will work it out. And so it was really weird to pray and say, what do you want me to do now, God? And to get that answer. And two times I said it on the shelf. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. That's a little scary. And so I went a couple of months and I would ask again, what do you want me to do with my relationship? And the same thing came. It was so specific. Even take the keys to the shuttle from him, like get him off of the name of the business. I mean, it was just so clear. <sighs> my whole life I've been raised to cultivate this forever family. And it, it again was either you're listening to God or you're listening to the fear of your own reputation the fear of being divorced, the fear of, you know, having a a marriage fail, the fear. And it was so easy to start recognizing where fear, when and where fear was driving my life versus when faith and love and courage and connection to God was driving, driving my life. And I just was like, this is the moment of truth, isn't it? This is where I put my reputation on the altar because it's been an idol of mine being seen as the good member, the good wife, 
the supportive wife to the branch president, wow. the mother of these five boys. And I, it, it was a deconstruction of identity to lay that on the altar to say, God, I believe this is you talking to me mm-hmm. and I'm going to take the next step. Fear and love actually became my barometer. Am I operating from a place of love or am I operating from a place of fear? And so the more I practiced it, the more I realized I'm my own best friend. And I was divinely designed to communicate with God and God is aware of my every need. So fast forward now, I want to talk specifically about the re-entry into the dating scene. So time did pass. Yes. The, the, yeah. the divorce was complete. And during that healing, I was really learning about the divine feminine energy. So that's a whole weird term and foreign concept to me. And what I recognized was that I had unknowingly been very high in my masculine energy. I had been living according to the programming and conditioning of the world I grew up in. I grew up in America, competitive, comparing, uh, praising success, academia. You know, I got great grades. I had great jobs all before becoming a mom. I was doing all these things, but I had this masculine energy and I was very controlling in my home as a wife. I was very task oriented. I was very busy and overwhelmed and had adrenal fatigue, and Hashimoto's, and all these ways where the body's breaking down and screaming, like, you are not in flow. You are in force. Masculine energy is force. It is get stuff done energy, and I think that there's a lot of us that do that. You just wake up, and you've got a marathon uh, to-do list every single day. That's what my doctor said. She said, you have high cortisol levels. They're so high. It's like you're running a marathon every day. And I thought, well, shoot, why don't I have the body of a marathon running? Right. But it was because <laughs> Dog got you know, it. I got the fatigue, but not the fitness part. So as I discovered what divine feminine energy was, I began to live more in flow and being present is a huge part of it. And surrendering to what God is asking you to do is a huge part of it over putting that as a priority over what you think you have to do, what you think you should do spending more time meditating, spending more time in nature, spending more time playing. So I was really cultivating that. And then at one point I thought, God, where is the divine masculine embodied? Like I'm connecting to all these women who are living these truths, opening their heart, being really God led, but I still have a lot of mistrust around men and I'm raising five sons. I want this healed. I do not want to carry on or project a hatred and a mistrust, a disdain for men and men who hold the priesthood, because that's what I had left in the marriage. And and there was some challenge in overcoming some of those things. And shortly after praying that prayer, I met a man and his wife who I felt like embodied what I was looking for. And I remember thinking, okay, God, that's one point for you. You got one. Keep showing me. (laughs) And the, the entire year of 2018, my quest was to come to understand God's design for manhood so that I could love it and model it. And I would watch for it with my eyes. I remember being in the grocery store and seeing a couple that was in approximately their late fifties and they were dressed up. It was like a Friday night grocery store date. You know, I laughed. I thought that's when life's really good. And the exciting time of your week is let's go to the grocery store together, but they were dressed really cute. And I saw the wife go to reach for something on the top shelf. And the husband said, let me get that for you, babe. And he went and he got it and he handed it to her. And she patted him on the back and they kind of did a little nuzzle. And I was at the end of the aisle staring at them. And the spirit said, go ask him a question. (laughs) This is so awkward. So the spirit (laughs) is going to tell you to do awkward things because that's how you grow. So I just approached him. I said, excuse me, can I ask you some questions? You look like you're in love. 
You know, they were kind, they were friends. They weren't just coexisting. They weren't just there to get the shopping done. They were actually kind of sauntering down the aisle and taking time and having conversation, not just that busy. And I had just lived in busy for years. Mm. So I started asking people like that questions. How long have you been together? Are you best friends? One of the big questions I had is, can men and women actually be best friends? Because it was easy for me to have best women friends. But can men and women be best friends? Because the spirit was saying you were divinely designed to be partners. You were made to be best friends. So I wanted to know, well, what does it take? And I interviewed people that I worked with. I interviewed friends. I interviewed total strangers with questions of tell me how your relationship works. When I could see they were in love. How can we cultivate epic, passionate love if we don't even know what it looks like? So I began to realize my whole marriage was patterned after the marriage of my parents. I had been a controlling, condescending, sarcastic wife. So a lot of, I did a ton of growth work on me during that separation and divorce and realized the parts I played into the the marriage. It's not about villainizing him. I have total compassion and love for who this man is. And I had realized that I had been modeling after the relationships I had seen. I thought romance was a silly, frivolous movie thing. Like I had all, I had never seen it. I, and so maybe there are people out there like me. I don't know. Maybe you have, but I had not seen real romance in many marriages, um, only on the big screen. And so I thought it was acting. So therefore I didn't know how to feel romantic. I didn't think I was worthy of love. This was one of the things through therapy and work that I did. I discovered the limiting core beliefs that are common to most humans. A fear that we're failing, a fear that we're not good enough, yeah. a fear that we're not lovable and a fear that we're not worthy. Yeah. Well, I, I took those to God and asked God to show me what was true. So all along I was working on that while I was discovering men carry the same beliefs, limiting core beliefs, and men are just as worthy and just as lovable and just as beautiful as we are. I began to then practice what I was learning from all these couples. And God said, okay, it's time for you to get out there in the dating pool. And I'm like, who's going to want to date a 40 year old woman with five kids. I was so scared and intimidated because I had never even been asked out in high school. I had never been asked out in high school. I never got asked to a dance. I never got out. All my friends went. And so I had always like just assumed something was wrong with me. And so here, how is it going to be any different at 40? Right. So scared. But again, spirit said to do it. And I was always like, we're a team. So I got online and I did the different LDS sites and different things like that and did not have great experiences. And uh, one time I was ghosted after having this really great connection and this guy that showed up every day for a week, every day he was, I was like, wow, he's really interested. And then he just disappeared. And so that rejection, again, I had a night of bawling and like, I'm done. I'm worthless. It's, and then I took it to God and God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. This is just an experience you're having live in your truth. Remember who you are and go and go out and show up in your life like a goddess because you are a goddess. So you cannot show up like, Oh, I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. You can't show up like that. Are you going to attract that into your life? Yeah, for sure. So show up like a goddess. And I was like, well, I'm jumping ship on this LDS singles site because that's been weird experiences. So I just pulled some others and I got on this one called Tinder and I was totally inexperienced, you know, and I make this match and I call him my, my Tinder mercy. 
So playing off, of, <laughs> playing off of Elder Bednar's words. So I met Eric, Eric the Great. And from the moment we met, there has been nothing but spiritual connections. Um, and we believe our grandmothers set us up. We discovered that our grandmothers were both from Panaka, Nevada, and they were best friends. And my grandmother, oh, he, cool he, he had a letter from my grandmother written to his grandmother on her wedding day. So Oh my Everybody God. who's scared of Tinder, I want you to know God's bigger than Tinder, you know, <laughs> and any other dating site and any God. other site. And if, if you are working with God to, to, to look for love or to find a connection, God will use whatever is in your path. So we, we've had the most beautiful relationship. And one of the things that has helped is consciousness. Now, consciousness is a genre of writing that I didn't even know existed. So some of my favorite books are by Gay and Katie Hendricks, Conscious Living, Conscious Loving, um, Byron Katie, Loving What Is, uh, Michael Singer. Like a lot of these books started to help me learn how to look at who I was and be less of a judgmental person thinking my partner needs to be this. My partner needs to do that. My partner having this checklist of what I was looking for. Right. And because this man was that I met, Eric, was super different from me super different. One of the things, one of my sons asked, Hey mom, where were you in the year 2000? And I said, Oh, I was just home from my mission and I was headed off to BYU Hawaii. And they said, Hey, Eric, where were you in the year 2000? He says, I was riding with the hell's angels in Las Vegas. <laughs> like we looked at each other and I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, like our backgrounds were so different. And if we had met at any point prior, I would have judged the hell out of him and would have never given him the time of day. And then come to find out as I was trusting God and listening, God, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? Even as I dated Eric, I was completely led to see that the outward persona that each person has is merely because of what they've been exposed to and the environments and people they have been around. It is not their true soul. And so if I could learn to be in my true soul, in my fullness of my creation as a goddess of light and love and truth, committed to being love, speaking truth, that it would elicit his true being, that it would pull it to the surface. And it did it so quickly wow. and that he, he is like, my life is different in every way since I've met you, Angel. Um, and I just, any problem I had with him or fear I had about him or his habits or his life. I just took it to God in conversation and I said, God, here's what I'm telling myself that I see in Eric that's a flaw or something I couldn't live with or something that I think makes us not a match. Here's what I'm telling myself. This is my mortal thinking, judgments, perception. God, I'm setting it on the altar and I'm asking you what is true and what more is there? Hmm. And every time I asked those questions, God showed me how Eric was a mirror for me. And that I had the exact same trait or mindset in another area of my life. Of course, it would look different in the way he had it. Sure, yeah. But God, God would say, go to this place in your life, in your heart, in your mind and purify it, cleanse it with truth and love. And I would do so. And without even speaking about it, would notice in days, weeks or months, Eric would clean up, so to speak, that part of his life. See, I want to stop own. here for just a minute, Angel, and we, we're about ready to wrap this up. But this is such a powerful principle you're talking about. The people that show up in your life are a mirror back to you to look 
at your own stuff. Now, when it comes to abuse, that's a, that's a little more complicated. So I just want to make that caveat, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you understand that too. I do. But, but this is the way that you figure out what your stuff is so that you can move forward and become more whole and draw to you more yes. whole person like you want to mm-hmm. be, right? Yes. And in psychology, they call it shadow work. And this is what I help people with as with my clients. I'm a life coach. And so it's called shadow work, but God, God's like, use that term. If you want, (laughs) this is called truth. Yeah. Okay. And so even the truth is that people are a mirror of us. People that are drawn into our lives are being brought into our physical space so that we can see what we're not picking up on, on the spiritual, mental, and emotional plane that exist. This is why and I believe marriage is sacred ground. It is. Because it is. it's where you meet the unfinished business in your yes. life. It's where you meet your shadows. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And we all think we're supposed to marry the perfect partner so that we can ride out into the sunset and life will be good. I remember thinking that I was going to marry um, in my first marriage that I was going to marry someone and we would be a team and we would face the world and trials together as a team. And then shortly into my marriage, I was like, I married my opposition. <laughs> Surprise. Nobody puts it that way. It is your mirror. It is where you can do the most sacred work. But how many times have you heard this, seen this, or lived this? You break up from one unhealthy relationship and get into another one with high hopes that it's going to be different. And the same patterns repeat. Right. Or it shows up in a different way, but Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. thing. Yeah. As you heal, you raise your vibrational frequency and you can no longer tolerate a lack of love or a lack of truth or a lack of light in your presence. Correct. Absolutely. This is so amazing. Angel, thank you so much. This has been so instructive and inspiring. Yes. And um, I love your process that you've been through. I love your courage, your persistence, and your the clarity that has come as you have been unflinchingly honest with yourself and honest with your relationship with God. And I think this is such a powerful pattern and absolutely true for our listeners to be able to connect with God and really find their path. I, and your website's angelin.com. Yes, it's pending. It'll be out soon. And I have a book coming out by the end of this year called Solular Evolution, spelled S-O-U-L hyphen U hyphen L-A-R, a Mormon woman's transcendent journey to love. Great. Thank you so much. Wonderful. All right. It's fabulous to meet you. Okay. Talk to, to you later. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it inspired you on your dating journey. Please share this with anyone you think might benefit from what you've heard today and subscribe to our channel. Check out our website at datetoyourpotential.com and take our free quiz to see if you are dating to your potential. We want you to know you are not alone. We support you. We are in this with you.